Welcome to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm your host, Lou Rosenfeld. I'm very happy to have today's guest, Natalie Dunbar, author of the newest Rosenfeld media book coming out in just a couple weeks here in June of 2022, From Solo to Scale, Building a Sustainable Content Strategy Practice. Now, Natalie, first of all, welcome. Thank you, Lou. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Great to have you here. Um, I have to point out something very important before we get started, because I, w- I want to absolutely make sure we avoid any confusion in the marketplace, and that is your middle initial is M, as in Marie. <laughs> Am I right? Because you're not the other Natalie Dunbar. You're Natalie M. No. Dunbar. <laughs> I am not the other Natalie Dunbar. That's a great story. Um, and I think I shared with you early on, it's uh, a, a, a problem, a good problem that I always joked about having, but uh, there is a novelist, a romance writer named Natalie Dunbar, who is an engineer by day and a uh, romance writer by night. And well, that's actually, interesting. Yeah. We we've been in touch with, it's like, it's like a, I don't know if it's mechanical or civil, civil engineering, but you know, <laughs> two opposite ends of things. And uh, we've been in touch with each other over the years because I, when I was writing as a journalist, a lot of my work was online and um, we've, you know, just traded a couple of messages back and forth. But um, I always wondered what I would do if I ever had an opportunity to write a book. Like, how do I, you know, how do I differentiate myself from this other great writer? And uh, yeah, middle initial. So my mom is very happy that Natalie Marie Dunbar is emblazed on the cover, emblazoned on the cover of the book. <laughs> well, did, um, so when you when you uh, sat down to to write this book, did you did you talk to the other Natalie Dunbar? No, I actually didn't. Um, you know, our uh, she must be I, hurt. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I may reach out to her and let her know that I would that send I'm, her a know. signed copy as soon as you get yeah. your hands on it. I know that's coming any day now, um, and. Uh, uh, but let's talk a little bit about uh, building a content strategy practice, first of all. all right. um, so, you know, we've talked about this topic before, and um, I know it sounds to people listening like it might be somewhat technical. And actually, you know, speaking of engineering, well, really maybe uh, uh, architecture, you've got a lot of construction metaphors mm-hmm. throughout the book, visually as well as textually. And, uh, and yet when we talk about the subject, a lot of it kind of boils down to how someone is feeling about the prospect of building a content strategy practice and, and building one that's sustainable over time. Well, why is this more of an emotional topic than, uh, I certainly had expected. Hmm. That's a great question. I think in my experience and in the experience of people that I've spoken with, you know, um, while writing the book and people who have given feedback, um, the process can be lonely. Um, even, you know, if you're a solo content uh, strategist attempting to build a practice, certainly you're, you know, by yourself as the, as the lone content person in the room, as we like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, who are your people that you can talk with that will help you, you know, that will help in understanding what it is that you're trying to build and then come alongside you when you're building it. 
Um, and if you're even leading a team, it can still get lonely because you're now um, interacting, you know, say if you're in a larger organization, you may be interacting with, you know, levels of leadership that you may not have had to interface with uh, on a regular basis. And all of a sudden you're like, you know, this is how we're going to do it. Um, this is the process. These are the things that I need. You know, this is the, you know, resources that we need. And that can get lonely as well. Um, so I think having a companion and a guide um, has kind of surfaced for many people as like, you know, I keep hearing, I wish I had, you know, someone like this or, or something like this or someone, you know, in, in the, in the form of a book, mm-hmm. like a narrator, a narrator or a guide telling me, okay, now take this step, take this step, you know, and then to step back and like, take a breath before you move on and, and keep pushing. And I think that's where the emotion comes in. It's just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's hard work. I won't, I won't sugarcoat it. It's hard work, but once you get it done um, and it's a process that continues, just like content strategy itself is not a one and done, mm-hmm. you know, prospect. It's not a thing that you do and you set aside. Um, and I talk about this in the book. It's like, you know, the question, the question that I used to get, and I'm sure many listeners get, you know, who are in this space of content strategy and content design, when is it going to be done? And people are thinking about when are the words on the screen or the page or whatever going to be done. The process of content strategy is never done. It's cyclical, right? So by the time you, you know, get your content launched on a website or you've, you know, launched a chat bot and you've got your content strategy established there, it's almost time to start thinking about what needs to be archived. (laughs) So it's cyclical, right? Content life cycle. So, So, um, you know, that, that loneliness, I, I, it's funny because I've, I've talked to people who are, are content people, UX writers who, you know, they complain in many cases that like the designers are the ones that sort of don't really understand them or don't include them. And it reminds me of what designers used to say 15 or 20 years ago about everybody else and trying to get a seat at the table and how misunderstood they were. Seems like some interesting parallels. Have you found any, I don't know, inspiration or lessons from the the growth of design practices that's been useful for you and uh, as you've tried to, you know, work your way through building content strategy practices? Yeah, I think um, I don't want to simplify at all uh, the ways that, you know, over the decades that, you know, design has come to this place of uh, being at that that product development table, right, mm-hmm. with, the, with the developers and everybody else, right? Um, but I'll say that um, I think as content strategists and designers, we've We've got the seat at the table, but we've always we've also started building our own tables um, and saying, hey, come over here and see what we've got for potluck, because it's it, it, it depends on how your organization or agency is set up. Um, you may be seated at the table with people or you may have your own table and people are coming, like I said, to, you know, sample whatever you've got there. Um, depending on how things are set up. But what what I've learned over the years is. Um, how to speak the language of all the various cross-functional teammates 
Um, there's a whole chapter in the book about how important it is mm-hmm. to build alliances. And that's a theme that runs throughout the book. This is not something that you do in a vacuum. Um, I, you know, made the early rookie mistake of going into an agency with my laptop and I got my briefcase and my papers and the, you know, yeah, paper. It was a little while ago. Um, and I'd done all my heuristic evaluation of this client site, and um, I was not welcomed the way that I thought I was going to be because I was like coming in, like, I'm here to save the day. And I hadn't really thought about the fact that not only was I the first content strategist at that particular agency, I was one of the first that anyone on the digital experience team had ever worked with. And, you know, I got the question, which made it to the book. So uh, what exactly is it that you do? Like, yeah, I was talking about things that the UX lead had already done. Mm -hmm. I was talking about things that some of the other folks, um, designers had done, visual designers had done. And they were like, well, how is that any different from what we do? And after a couple of weeks of back and forth and not really having any forward motion other than, you know, doing an inventory and audit, which is, you know, the inventory piece had been done by an IA that uh, was there as an intern, Mm. but it hadn't been fleshed out to the qualitative stuff that you need in an audit to really start to get into the meat of things. So I kind of used that as an inroad and it's like, okay, so let's start again. Let's sit down and let's figure out where, where does the product development cycle begin? Where, where does the website building, whatever we were working on, where does that process start? How does it kick off? And how much lead time do we need? And we discovered, well, hey, if we've got a new client that we know is, you know, that we're, that we're looking at, let's, let's do a spot audit. That begins with content strategy. And so from that, sitting in a, I remember sitting in a conference room that had whiteboards all, all the way around, lots of markers, lots of post-it notes, and we created a process framework um, and figured out where are those crucial handoffs. And at every moment that we identified another cross-functional teammate, including development, it was like, because we had developers on, within the agency as well. It was like, okay, let's get them in here and let's talk about this, this step in the process. And those relationships became stronger. So it became less of, you know, battle between like, well, no, that's my job. Well, no, that's my job. It's like, well, how can we do this together? We didn't have, we didn't have a research team. So the UX lead and I decided we would do the research together. Mm-hmm. And then he would go off and do personas. And then I would go off and do whatever content strategy work I needed to do. And again, relationships, those were the things that we figured out. I also learned in that process to to get back to the root of your question, how to speak the language of the people that I'm trying to bring on, you know, bring on board about this content strategy. Mm -hmm. How can I speak to a designer? I can use design thinking language. I can use, you know, um, uh, service blueprint language. I can use different language that helps each individual understand what it is that I'm trying to do as that, a content strategy. That, that seems like an, uh, the, the, you know, the sort of uh, 
stone that people in a lot of newer practices and professions need to keep pushing up the hill, namely they, you know, like whether it's an IA some years ago, content strategist these days, seems like we're always the ones who have to learn the language um, of the people who are already there rather than, you know, maybe being met halfway. Um, you know, and it, it's interesting. I, I didn't actually give you the formal introduction that I might normally because we just jumped into a great conversation, but you've been doing this work in a lot of different settings. You've been you know, working with insurance companies like Anthem and Farmers. You've been in healthcare, Kaiser, e-commerce, Walmart, uh, federal agencies like the FDA. Um, do you find that, like, it, it's true everywhere that you have to go beyond um, halfway to, to start yeah. collaborating, to start figuring out how yeah. to uh, work with people who speak a different language. Are you having to, one, to be the one who learns that language everywhere you go? Yep. Um, there's something that I uh, call the persistent principles that I wrote about in the book. And one of the very first ones, not grammatically correct, but it's how I say it, always be educating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> always be educating, always. So even when your practice is established, someone new is going to come along, you know, a new developer, a a new IA, a new designer, and they're maybe never worked with a content strategist or content designer before. Mm -hmm. They have, you know, maybe, you know, they're used to, uh, tossing designs over the proverbial fence and asking for, you know, the words to be plugged in instead of the other way around, um, which is particularly difficult in highly regulated spaces. I've learned like insurance and healthcare, because you'll design, you know, you'll have this lovely design and then the content breaks that design because it's required. It's like the federal government says that we have to have this because it's Medicare or Medicaid or whatever it is. And then there's this big kerfuffle and then we've got to start again um, or we got to make adjustments on the fly. Um, So always be educating is one of my persistent principles. Um, It's also fun though, because if you really enjoy the work, you see these new folks that are coming in um, and even, you know, beyond just like the the cross-functional teammates, you'll have departmental partners that you may need to work with. Um, that are subject matter experts, say in insurance or healthcare, that are not on the, they're your stakeholders, they're your internal stakeholders, right? And you may need to educate them as well about this process that you're, that you're taking them through when you're asking them to look at some content that's maybe legacy content and, you know, it's 10 years old and, you know, we need to think about sunsetting this. You say it gently, mm-hmm. and the, but, but I worked on this and this was like, it was a story that I heard actually about content that had been worked on by a subject matter expert. And it took them, you know, so much time to make it happen and to create it. And 10 years hence, it's like, but it's outdated. And they did not want to remove it from whatever d- digital experience it was in. And it was a process of like explaining to them, you know, we, we do have the tools that make it where it's not going to take three months to get this published, to get an update published. So all this work that you put in, let's extract what's still relevant. Let's update it and we'll get it, you know, we'll get it out there as soon as we can push that code. 
But I'm you so know. comfortable with the way we did it 15 years ago. <laughs> um, so, you know, we're having a, this is really great material on um, the table uh, that a content strategy uh, lead or, or practice owner um, might have to be thinking about as part of collaborating with other functions in the organization. But after the break, what I want to do is come to talking a little bit about maybe how you build that other table. Maybe you think of it as the kid's table, but your own table, your own practice, the people starting with yourself that become your team. So we'll take a quick break. We're talking with Natalie Dunbar, sorry, Natalie M. Dunbar, to be specific. Uh, and uh, we'll come right back. You're listening to the Rosenfeld Review. Hey, it's Lou, and I want to put in a plug for a very special experience that Rosenfeld Media is uh, putting on. It's the Design at Scale 2022 conference. It's taking place June 8th through 10th, and it will be 100% virtual. Why are we doing this conference? Well, first of all, it's the latest edition of a conference that's taken a lot of different shapes uh, over the last seven or so years. It was the Enterprise UX conference for a while, then it was Enterprise Experience, and the last couple of years, Design at Scale. Uh, this year in particular, we are looking back at the last couple of fun years we've all been having, uh, taking the lessons, looking at some of the challenges, pulling together and distilling what we've learned and using what those lessons are to help map a, a path forward. So look at this conference in a way, if you work in a large organization as a designer or researcher, what have you, as an opportunity to reflect and then pivot and take what we are covering in these three days and arm yourself to move forward. That's what Design at Scale is gonna be about. Uh, if you want to know the themes, the first one, we have a whole day on this, is design practices in times of crisis. The second day is all dedicated to design processes for a new normal. And the third day, the third theme, is design people caring for individuals and teams. If this sounds up your alley, come to the website, designatscale.co, check out the program. I think you'll be impressed. And again, we do virtual really well. I think you'll enjoy the experience. I hope we'll see you June 8th through 10th at Design at Scale 2022. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. We're talking with Natalie Marie Dunbar, author of the uh, forthcoming Rosenfeld Media title, From Solo to Scale, Building a Sustainable Content Strategy Practice. And we're going to talk a little bit more um, about building the practice at the team level. But Natalie, I guess um, from solo to scale, well, I guess many people are starting solo. How does it get started? How do you build? How do you scale? All right. So the steps of building um, the practice are going to be the same, whether you're solo or building or you're you know, starting with a small team or maybe you're a UX lead and you've been charged with, hey, we need content strategists and content designers, need you to build a practice. Um, I've provided a blueprint. I call it the content strategy practice blueprint. Um, there are five components to that blueprint. Um, and they include making the business case, uh, building strong relationships, which we talked about uh, with cross-functional teams. And I would add departmental partners to mm -hmm. that. 
um, creating frameworks and curating tools to build with, uh, right-sizing the practice. So now we're talking about adding, you know, starting to scale the number of people, practitioners. Uh, if, if, if you're at an agency like I was when I built my first practice, that might mean bringing on contractors for a specific client uh, relationship that you have or project that you have. And then the final uh, component in the blueprint is establishing meaningful success measures. And if you'll remember early on, this always gets me giggling because we, you and I were talking back and forth about success measures. Mm -hmm. And this came up even as people were reviewing the book and they were thinking that it was the normal measures of, you know, our KPIs and OKRs or whatever acronym of the day that, you know, is, is popular when you're listening to this. Uh, I think, what is the new one? AOV, average order value, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but at a practice level, we're, we're more talking about what are the practice OKRs? What are the, what are the goals of the practice, not at the project level, but at the practice level? So there's that. And once you have gone through those steps, that's when you kind of step back and you look at those success measures and you say, have I been able to meet these goals that I told leadership that I was going to meet? Is my practice, do I need to go back through any of these steps and shore things up just like you would with a building um, maintenance, right? And then you can decide, is the structure healthy enough for us to start scaling? And that's where the growth happens. That's where maybe you're if you're at an agency, you've established yourself as a solo practitioner and, and maybe that's, you don't need more bodies, but you have people coming in, like I said, as contractors that are maybe not going to be full-time folks, um, but they come as, as contractors as you are bringing on clients who, you know, are establishing this demand for the content strategy work to happen. Um, within an enterprise that might look like all of a sudden uh, more and more teams are asking for content strategy expertise mm-hmm. and all of a sudden your project list is growing and you need, you need to bring in more people and more practitioners. Um, and so you're, you're scaling by adding, you know, basically piling on a little bit more, uh, more work, maybe the, uh, the projects that you're doing are not basic, you know, there's never anything that's really basic about a content strategy project, but, you know, there are some that just include, like, we're going to launch this new feature, we need some, we, we, we need content, we need copy, but mm-hmm. we also need to figure out, you know, where does it live on the site? You know, let, what's the nomenclature that we're using? Um, is it consistent with other, you know, uh, topics that might be similar uh, on our, our whatever digital experience that we're building in? Um, and I think this is a good point also to say, as you're looking at bringing in uh, and scaling your practice, look around your product table, look around the, the practice that you've established and consider the importance of bringing in a diverse team, of building a diverse team so that just as you want your products and services, your digital products and services to uh, appeal to and be engaged with by, you know, a variety of people, mm-hmm. um, 
you want the people that are building those products and services, whether they're content strategists or other practitioners, you want that diversity around the table so that your content is inclusive, your content is accessible, and it appeals to a demographic that you may not have even considered, you know, your personas may not even include, but when you start to diversify your practice team or the practitioners on your team, you're going to start to hear different perspectives. And then that will broaden your reach as your audience starts to grow. So um, diversity uh, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, leads to building the market for whatever copy, whatever content you're putting together in, in whatever product, obviously. Um, what about roles on a, let's say a mature, uh, in, in, within a, a mature content strategy practice? Let's say you have uh, a 15 person practice. What's, is there like any type of ideal ratio of, you know, UX writers to information architects to something else? Um, I mean, ideal would be we have, you know, all of the above embedded into product teams. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's, you know, that's, that's a tricky question because, you know, there are so many names that we go by. I'm mm-hmm. a purist. I stayed with content strategy because that's how I learned it. And that's what I know. Um, but I also, uh, have worked in roles where I've been a content designer. I've been, you know, whatever I've done IA work. I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. I've also been on teams where I was the strategist. I figured out the strategy. I handed off to a UX writer. Uh, I worked with an IA to figure out where, where things should live, what nomenclature should be. And then we both handed off to, uh, the UX writers. Then we came back in at the end and worked with uh, folks on my team, worked with uh, engineering to determine what URL should be and mm-hmm. that kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? So now we're talking about diversification of skills within a, within a content right. strategy practice, right? So your practice may include only people who produce content but you may find that that in order to scale, you need to consider um, what Ann Rockley refers to as your front end and your back end content strategists, right? So your people who are, you know, I identify more as a front end. I like being in the research. I like the closest I can get to the user or the, you know, the, the, the audience that, that we're creating experience for. That's my happy place. Um, the content engineering, the content architecture piece. I don't live in that space. I can, right? But I have led teams where I've had like, you know, I've had two people that were very strong in the front end piece. Those that were in the middle that really excelled and worked with like the IA piece Mm -hmm. and that overlap. And then someone that was a couple of people that were very strong on the back end. And they were more than happy to sit down with, you know, developers and engineers and, and talk about, you know, um, 
you know, how do we do this redirect? And, you know, how can we make sure that we don't, you know, lose our SEO that we've built and so on and so forth. So as you scale, you might find that in order to continue to sustain a healthy practice, you need to diversify in those air in those uh, specialties within content strategy. Well, I think right? it's good that you're also framing them not as roles, which was my usage, but more specialties or skills. And mm-hmm. it, it would it be safe to say that, you know, if you're building that practice, you really got to hire people that are ultimately willing to wear different hats. Like they may have their comfort hap- zones or happy places, but you know, ultimately it's a new enough area that, uh, sometimes on a, in a given day, uh, one of your people might have to be doing, uh, Ann Rockley's front end work, uh, another day back end work, sometimes, uh, managing content more than creating it and, and so on. Right. Is that, is that pretty much even in a mature content strategy practice still the case? Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I did a, a fireside chat recently about, you know, the fact that there's so many specializations within the content world. Um, and it really boils down to understanding what it is I think that you, that you are passionate about mm-hmm. and also being very honest about what areas like I am. I'm, you know, I have no, there's no shame in my game when I talk about the back end pieces that like, content modeling is still a world of wonder for me, right? If I don't have anyone on the team that I'm on and I have to do it, then I do it, right? And if I get a little stuck, maybe there's an architect that I can work with. Um, uh, On a previous uh, job that I was on, all of a sudden I had to do content model documentation. Oh, it's fun. It's so I much was, fun. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I sat down with, with uh, a PM who was also a um, project manager, who was also an engineer and also had passion for content strategy, the back end piece. Mm-hmm. And he walked me through a couple of examples and all of a sudden I'm doing content model uh, documentation. So it's just a, like, be open get out of your own way. Certainly if you are, you know, um, more comfortable with certain aspects of content strategy, especially when you're, you know, out there and you're looking at all these specializations and jobs, you know, don't try to shoehorn yourself into something that you're ultimately going to get stuck. Like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but on the other hand, there are a lot of, um, I think just with, with hiring in general these days, uh, with so many people, you know, fleeing from, from different, you know, uh, traditional jobs and so many openings out there, um, you can kind of craft your path, like what it is that, that, that you want to mm-hmm. do. And the areas where you may, instead of seeing them as weaknesses, see them as opportunities. Ooh, I like Well, Natalie, you know, it, there's so much to it. There's so much to, uh, developing a a content strategy practice. I know we just, uh, really scratched the surface here, but, uh, I'm really glad that, uh, uh, those who are overwhelmed by it, including myself now have a handy guide, you and the form of your book from solo to scale, building a sustainable content strategy practice. 
And um, it's been delightful to spend time talking with you about it. I do want to ask you before we wrap if you um, will indulge me and, and our listeners with uh, the, the person or the uh, piece of content that uh, really has stood out for you lately and you want to draw a little attention to. What do you have for um, us? Oh, my goodness. So many names come to mind, but someone to uh, be on the lookout for is uh, Jonathan McFadden. Um, Jonathan spoke at uh, Confab recently. Uh, he's been kind of on that speaker circuit, so to speak, our virtual speaker, speaker circuit. Um, he speaks on uh, diversity within teams. Um, he's an up-and-coming leader in this space uh, and someone that I have a lot of respect for. Um, and I was so glad after, um, I think we, we, we met virtually at Confab last year. It was so good to meet IRL in mm-hmm. real life this year at Confab. So yeah, be on the lookout for Jonathan. Well, his website is, uh, John writes Inc. That's John without an H and Inc. with a K, not a C. Uh, I'm going to check it out. And, uh, it's a nice looking site. Uh, nicely done, John. If you're listening, I hope you are. Anyway, Natalie, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we, we've learned from Natalie Marie Dunbar, author from Solo to Scale, Building a Sustainable Content Strategy Practice. Natalie is an author, speaker, teacher, UX content strategy lead, and just a, a really enjoyable person to talk with. Thanks again, Natalie. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.